Alright, as they make their way out, I want to uh, introduce our speaker this morning. And uh, to many of you, you already know him and you already, you really don't need an introduction, but Tom Shuck is with us this morning and his wife Lisa, I think, will be here momentarily. First time Tom and Lisa have been with us as a family of four because now they have twins and so we're grateful that they have 16-month-old twins, little Thomas, or as they would say in India, Tom, uh, little Tom. Uh, little Thomas and also Elizabeth, and they've been staying at our house for the last several days, so if I look really bad, never mind. Uh, we've had a great time keeping them in our basement and uh, showing them great hospitality. <laughs> but since someone in that marriage is a Northwestern grad, um, anyway, but since we really love Lisa, we won't make the connection. Um, <laughs> Tom and Lisa have been missionaries in India. Uh, Tom is a professor, has, has been a professor at the Pastoral Training Seminary, which has recently moved to Goa. Tom has been in India as a missionary for 12 years, and uh, we're just grateful to have partnered with them over these last few years, and we're grateful for the fact that our hearts beat together for the gospel and the progress of the gospel. Just dear friends, um, brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, it's just a joy to spend time with them because, again, the Lord has knit our hearts together um, really as a church and I'm just really, really grateful for them. Um, Tom and Lisa will be moving to Tacoma, Washington uh, here shortly, and Tom is going to be pastoring at Pilgrim Bible Church outside of Tacoma starting in January, and so we're glad for that as well. Um, Tonight really is where we get the update from Tom and Lisa. So Tom is going to come and preach this morning, and uh, he's going to be preaching in Philippians. And then tonight in the fellowship area, Tom and Lisa will be here with us again all together, no doubt. And uh, just to give us an update on what has gone on in India, and then also even to help us as we seek to still be involved in India, uh, he'll help us kind of understand the lay of the land and what's happened there. And it should be a great time of fellowship. So uh, let's welcome Tom as he comes to preach the word. Thank you. He is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. I love the songs. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We worship a mighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we'll be focusing our attention on Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Let me read the text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to to 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Father, as we continue in our worship we come to your word and we would beg that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit. 
Open our eyes that we could see the glory of Christ. Open up our eyes that we could see our true state, Lord, our neediness before you. Lord, we pray this morning that you would minister to us, Lord. We need you. We need to be both disturbed by your word and comforted by your word. Lord, to be challenged and to be equipped. And so we pray this morning that you would do that, Lord. Lord, we trust your word where it says in Psalm 19:7, the law of the Lord is perfect, it revives the soul. And so we pray this morning, Lord, revive us, O Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am glad I'm back in the U.S., and I've decided that for your benefit, I'm going to have a special conference, and I'm going to do it all over the U.S. I'm a missionary, so I know about evangelism. So I'm going to have a successful evangelism conference, and I'm going to try to get the top preachers. It may be a little bit controversial, but I was thinking I could get people like Sproul, MacArthur, and Driscoll, and maybe get Pat. And we'll call it Successful Evangelism Tactics. Now, it's going to be a cheap conference. It's only going to be $500. You'll get a free book and a free t-shirt, and I will sign it for you. Guaranteed. Successful evangelism tactics. Oftentimes, if I hear something like that, that's what I want. I want to be able to have successful evangelism. There are so many times in the U.S. or in India, wherever I've been, I will evangelize. And often the response is, no way. A very close relative to me recently said, I don't want that Christ. I want to see the lost come to Jesus. I want God to use me. Sometimes I think I'm probably the worst missionary that has ever been born. I've had people ask me, how many people have you led to Christ? I don't even want to answer that question. Theologically, I've led none to Christ. Okay, the Father does that. But practically, tangibly, what about you? And sometimes I do desire to have some kind of special technique that I could use, a special bait or tactic. Sometimes we forget that God actually has a special tactic. And one of the tactics that God uses, we find in this passage, and it's this. When your heart gushes with gratitude, then God will use you as an evangelist. Sometimes we want to have a special, professional tactic that we can use with people. But what God says, when your heart is gushing with gratitude instead of complaining then you'll be a supernova for God's glory. And we see two elements in this passage that brings out this gushing with gratitude. Let me show you this in the passage first, the text, and then set the context. But look with me in verse 14. The Spirit of God says, Do all things without grumbling or complaining, disputing. Look at verse 15. Here's the purpose. 
so that you can prove or so that you'll become blameless, innocent, that you'll be pure, that you'll be holy, that you can show that you're a child of God. And then it says at the end of 15, that you would appear as lights in the world. When you don't complain, when complaining against God, bitterness is not coming out all the time, but instead thankfulness and praise. The end of verse 15 says that you're going to be a bright light shining in the world. And then verse 16 says what will happen is that will basically give you the opportunity to hold on And I would believe even put forth the word of Christ, the word of life, the word of God. And then Paul says in verse 16, when the Philippians do that, he will be able to glory in Jesus because he knows his ministry would be successful. It's as if Pat would say, when you're going through trials and tribulation, If what comes out of your mouth is, Jesus, you're worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Though I fall, I will rise. Though it's darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Don't rejoice over me, O my enemy. When you say that in the midst of tribulation and trials, then your pastor will say, glory, glory. Because he will know that God's doing something great in your heart. And in the midst of all that, verse 15 and 16 says that the world is perverse and twisted and messed up. And the world is looking on going, there's something different about that man or that woman. They're not complaining against God. They're worshiping. And then Paul gets into verse 17 and 18 and even talks about suffering being poured out as a drink offering. And even in the midst of the suffering not just not complaining, but if you look at verse 18, he commands them, rejoice in the what? Same way. Rejoice how Paul did. So this is the text. Now, I want to set the context, and then we'll go back and look at this passage. Turn to Philippians 1, verse 27. Often, we hear that the theme of Philippians is joy. I think maybe, and I've forgotten the exact number, maybe 11 or 16 times you have the word joy. And that that is the main theme of Philippians. I would say it's a major theme, but maybe it's not the main, main theme. I believe Philippians 1.27 contains the main theme. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ then everything flows out of that verse in the rest of the book. In other words, I believe what Paul is telling the Philippians, live your life in such a way that you are promoting the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. How you live, how you respond, having unity, humility, rejoicing and suffering. It's all going to showcase how glorious the gospel of Jesus is. What is the gospel of Jesus? I I praise God that this church is very clear on the gospel. I think of Romans 4.25, that Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions and raised again for our justification. That's the the gospel. That Christ's righteousness becomes 
our righteousness. It's not our life. It's his life. It's not what we have done or will do. It's what Christ already did by his life, death, and resurrection that we get to heaven. And so Paul tells the Philippians, you need to live your life in such a way that when you respond to different situations, that the sufficiency and supremacy of that good news, that Jesus is worthy, that he lived a pure life, that he died for sin, that he rose again, that he's victorious over hell and Satan, and that you'll reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. That's part of the good news. That the way that you respond to anything and everything that happens to you will be a bright light to the world saying, Jesus is worthy. We saying, hallelujah, sing to the earth his name. And you know, and I know, on the way home, the husband or the wife might say something. The kids not have kids now. It's harder to be sanctified with kids in the back seat. They start to scream. Then the wife says something. Then the husband says something. And then by the time you get to church, the message is gone. It's very easy for that to happen. And Paul's being very practical and saying that how you respond to life and situations is a matter of the gospel. Is Jesus worthy? It's easy to say, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. But when life falls apart, it's really hard. And it, it may seem silly, but it's true. You know, Nebraska lost. Be glad that you're not a Florida fan. Okay? Florida Gators are having a really hard time right now. Football could be your life. This is Nebraska. Okay? For people in Florida... They have now, I think, uh, five great college football teams. And it can become, sports can become so depressing if you're not careful. Many things in life can be depressing. Many things. How are we going to respond? How are we going to live? The Spirit of God wants us to live in such a way that our heart of gratitude is going to be a bright light calling people to come to Jesus. So let's look at this passage. And I mentioned that I think when you look at this passage, there's two elements that will flesh out this heart of gratitude. And basically, there are two commands. You see one in verse 14, do all things without grumbling. Then you see the other at the end in verse 18, rejoice in the same way. So let's look at this first element to help us have this heart of gratitude. And it would simply be this, refuse to complain no matter what the circumstances. Refuse to complain no matter what the circumstances. Draw a line in the sand and say, no, before God, I'm not going to have complaining and bitterness come out of my mouth. It's not going to happen. Realize that really... We are in a battle. We are in a war. And part of that war and part of that battle can be lost when we have a heart that is oozing with grumbling and complaining. Now, let me just give you three basic H words to kind of help us get this into our hearts and heads and to remember it. Three H words to help us refuse to complain. Uh, Number one, habitual. Habitual. It's very easy to be a person that is habitual in complaining, isn't it? 
If I asked you to make a list of how many things you're aggrieved about, you can complain about, realistically, that could be a long list, right? I mean, even just consider politics. Okay? It could be a long, long list. Consider family, consider home. It could be, it'd be huge. God forbid that we do that. But it would be very easy for us to do that. But what Scripture is teaching in verse 14, we should not be habitual in complaining. We should be habitual in refusing to complain. It is so easy. It comes off our lips like there is no God, like Jesus is not good to us. Psalm says he's good and he does good. It should be a practice of us that we are not characterized by complaining, but by gushing with gratitude. I can remember my family uh, back when I was 13 from Orlando, Florida. We had a big mobile home, and we drove all the way from Orlando to Yellowstone because we all wanted to see Old Faithful. We traveled, I don't know how far, maybe 3,000 miles. So we get to Old Faithful. And we're timing it. 30 seconds. Get the, get the camera ready. 20 seconds. Okay. Don't look down, boys. 10. And countdown. And then pretty soon, it's a minute after. No gush of water. 10 seconds, a minute. I thought it was old faithful. Five minutes. It didn't happen. We had to wait about an hour, hour and a half for it to blow again. That can be, sadly, our thankfulness, can't it? Right, husbands? We're driving home with our wives from church, from game, from shopping, and we complain. Maybe we'll talk about somebody in church. What about that person? I can't believe he said that to me. Can you believe that guy? The nerve of him? We can complain so easy. It can be habitual. Here... The Spirit of God is saying, make it a practice of not complaining. In other words, of being full of gratitude to the Lord. Habitual. A second H word is haughtiness. Haughtiness. What is haughtiness? It's this lofty, prideful arrogance. And if you look at verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, without grumbling or disputing. The word in grumbling in in Greek, it's basically... That's the basic Greek word. That's what it means. Sound like a Klingon or an orc. And then the word disputing is primarily, I don't think, toward one another, but toward God. I can't believe you did that. How could you do that? I better guard my heart against you, God. I, I know your ways aren't my ways. I wouldn't have done that, Lord. That can be in our heart, can't it? God, how you orchestrated those events, I wouldn't have done it that way, Lord. Well, that's full of haughtiness. That's what the word disputing means. It's bringing up your pride against God, saying, I don't think so, Lord. 
You know what arrogance that is? And I know terrible things happen in our life. Uh, my own father, the past five years, has lost his first wife, his second wife, both his parents, and my two oldest brothers. That's a lot to lose. And it's very easy, very easy to dispute against God. And when, once we start to do, do that, the, the lifeline of hope is cut. If we believe somehow that God is bad or he's evil and he's treating us in an unjust way, then we're going to dispute with God. Then there's not going to be any hope, no lifeline. And all we'll know is this bleak darkness and sourness. And then we can never evangelize for Jesus. So it's these three H words, habitual, haughty, there's another H word, holistic, just to help you remember. Holistic, this means whole, whole. And if you look at verse 14, do all things. This is convicting to me. Okay, I'm a father of twins. Now, I've always wanted kids. My wife and I wanted six. Now, I used to in my heart say, Lord, I'm... Back, uh, 42, I'm 44 now, but I was 42 then. Lord, how come we don't have so many children? And I would dispute and grumble. Well, now the Lord has given me two kids, two children. And it is hard to be thankful when they both have diarrhea at the same time. <laughs> and then I, I want to be a servant. I want to help my wife. So I'm changing the diapers. In all things, men. In all things, even changing the diapers of your kids, is there grumbling and complaining? This is your job, wife. It's not my job. I bring home the bread. You change the diapers. There can be many husbands like that. In in India, husbands don't change diapers. Ever. So sometimes I'd be changing the diapers and Indian men would just be... (laughs) What are you doing? I'm loving my wife. Loving my wife, and it's an act of worship. <laughs> Sacrificing yourself. And all things, and all that you do, not complaining. No matter what the circumstances. Now look at the motivation for this. Go back and look at verse 15. Look at the motivation. And I mentioned this earlier, but I want you to see it in verse 15. So that you will become blameless and innocent children of God. Now, you, you may think, you know, to your head, in your mind, you know, if I'm not playing Xbox until late at night, if I'm not listening to really hard rock and roll music, if I'm not seeing rated R movies, then I'm pure and I'm innocent, and I'm blameless. I can't believe my wife is late today. I can't believe my husband's not making enough money. Gosh, I can't believe the church did this. You know what God says? Holy and blameless and innocent is not complaining. Do you get what I'm saying? Look at the text. God says, refuse to grumble and complain. 
because when you do, then you'll be godly, innocent, and blameless, and pure. Sure, we need to be a holy men and women in our thought life and in the world with what we do and what we don't do. But sometimes we can be super legalistic, right? I've had my quiet time six times this week. Got my little daily bread going. I'm reading through the Bible in one year. I'm pure. I'm blameless. I'm holy. I got my theology down. Whether it's MacArthur Study Bible, the Burkhoff, I got it. But then in your heart, you're... God says, you're ungodly. You're impure. You're not holy. And that's convicting to me. I would say that probably for most of us here, we fail miserably in two areas, prayer and thankfulness. I know I do. I have to confess that before the Lord, and maybe they go hand in hand. Maybe we're not praying like we should because we're not as thankful as we should be. Well, notice in the text, God says that this happens not in an ivory tower, not in a seminary, not in the confines of these walls, but if you look at verse 15, it happens in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. And it's there that you're going to appear as a light in the world. And again, yes, there are some things that we need to abstain from and not do. But here this text is saying when you are basically gushing with gratitude instead of gushing with complaining, that is going to be a bright light. That's going to cause people to be, what's going on with you? What's, what's happening? When you can say, it is well with my soul when your life is falling apart. Remember Paul said, sorrowful yet rejoicing. When that can be your heart, though it's hard and though it's dark, you know the Lord is there and He's a light for you. And by God's grace, you're clinging to Jesus and His promises. And you're able to say, it is well with my soul. God, in reality, is being very good to me. I deserve what? I deserve hell forever and forever and ever and ever now and forever only. For Jesus to choose me and to redeem me and to say, Tom, all that I have is yours and you will reign with me. Remember what Jeremiah says in Lamentations? Who am I that I should complain against God? Anything I deserve is grace, grace, grace. And when we have that attitude and that response, you will appear as a super blinding nova. What's going on? And then in verse 16, Paul adds that this thankfulness, this refusing to grumble and gratitude, this, this bright light, it's sustained, look at verse 16, by holding fast the word of life. That is, you can only have th- this attitude when you're committed to what? Scripture. To know the mind of Christ, to know the promises of Christ, you have to be in the word. Holding fast the word of life. 
So that in the day of Christ, when Christ comes back, Paul says, I can glory that you persevered through tremendous persecution, trials, and tribulation. You didn't complain. You didn't get bitter toward God because you knew Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21, that is that Jesus will take this humble body. What is that? More and more I look at my hands, and you know what I'm seeing on my hands? Wrinkles. I keep saying I'm 43, and Lisa keeps saying, Tom, you're 44. And then I'm getting these, like, I don't know, warts or bumps on my hands. And I can, confessing, I can complain and say, Lord, I'm getting old. I'm 44. I used to think that 32 was old when I was 13. (laughs) My hope is verse 21 of chapter 3, who would transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. And I say, glory, praise God. This body that I'm in is not it. I get something else. And it gives me hope. If this is all that I had to look forward to, to eternity, Lord, help me. There is something far greater. We will be with Christ face to face. We will reign with him. But he's going to give you a physical body that conforms eternity. First Corinthians 15 talks about it's going to be powerful. It's going to be a vessel of power, of honor, and made for heaven. And that gives me hope that I don't have to be bitter and start complaining. I can glory in Jesus and be grateful. Spouses, maybe you could sit down with one another during lunch or during dinner tonight. And husbands, why don't you lead off? You lead off and say, wife, am I characterized more by complaining or by being thankful? And then husbands, when your wife says, when she gives you the answer, don't say anything back. (laughs) That would be my temptation. Oh, yeah, well, what about this time? Don't say anything, husbands, and just say thank you. I need to think about that and pray about it. The way that the world is going to really listen and hear what we have to say is when we're not hypocrites. But if we're going to church, we're praising the Lord, which is all glorious and great. But then out in the world, we're complaining, oh, I can't believe there isn't that great of a Republican candidate. Oh, what if the Democrats are in office again? Maybe you're a Democrat, so you'd be saying, oh, what if the Republicans are in Oh, what if they sweep in? Then it's going to be the Reagan years or the Bush years. Oh, and it's just complain, complain, complain. There needs to be this kingdom gratitude in our hearts. This is the first element, this first factor of gushing with the gratitude. And what I realize is this, and then we'll look at the second factor just briefly, is... It was so easy for me to get chicken pox. Right before I left India, I had chicken pox for three weeks. You know, and my heart 
that remaining sin was God. But it's amazing how I could spend a, just a brief time with somebody that had chicken pox and I get it. How come I, when I'm sick, how come I can't go to a healthy person and get his healthiness? How come it doesn't happen like that? And that's pretty much the way it is with complaining. You know, if we're complaining, what happens? Our wife, our husband, our children, our friends, it's infectious. And it spreads everywhere. And it's hard to correct. And if you, as a body of Christ, if the church in Washington, Pilgrim Bible Church, if they, if you, if we want to be successful in our evangelism, it's not special tactics. It's God, give me a grateful heart. And then you'll be this supernova blazing for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, just briefly, the second factor that we see with gushing with gratitude, Paul says not only in no circumstances resolve not to complain, but in all circumstances rejoice. You can look at verses 17 and 18, and Paul is saying, even if my life is being poured out, remember he was either chained to a centurion or in some kind of dungeon, verse 17 and 18. He's offering up his life to God. We don't have time. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26, if I, I live, then it's, it's to live as Christ, to die is the game. Paul wasn't sure I could live, I could die, I could be martyred. But whatever, glory to God. Jesus is worthy. And he's able to rejoice. And then he tells him at the end of chapter 1, verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe, yes, Jesus, thank you, but then here's the hard part, but also to suffer for his sake. Isn't that kind of crazy? God has this gift. It's a gift of faith. I give this to you, Tom. And I'm, thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. Oh, I love it. It's a gift of faith. Thank you. Tom, I give you another gift. It's the gift of suffering. What? Faith and suffering work together. And we see that happening at verse 17. Look back at verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Verse 19. Rejoice in the same way with me. Paul, by faith, even though it was costing him his life, served to the glory of Jesus by the grace of God, served the Philippians. He gave them the gospel of Christ and kept giving them the gospel of Christ. The Philippians then, out of gratitude, seek to serve Jesus by serving Paul. In 2 Corinthians 8 says, they were what kind of a church? They weren't a wealthy church. They were a very poor church. Yet they gave more than all the other churches. It's like the poor old lady in the Gospel of Luke. She gave all that she had. This was the Philippian church. They even gave their pastor. Philippians chapter 2. They gave out of their poverty. They were sacrificing. They were giving. And Paul says, I rejoice in that. They could sacrifice. They could give 
because their faith was anchored in the goodness of God and Jesus. In other words, this faith, this suffering, this joy, this gratitude, it was not happening in a good environment. It wasn't the kingdom established. This Philippian church were on the the, the cusp of being persecuted. Remember, Paul in Philippi was what? He was beat up with rods and thrown in prison. And in the future, the Philippian church had the potential to face the same thing. And so Paul is saying that as you seek to love and to live for Jesus, it's going to be difficult. There's always going to be suffering in the world, either suffering just because of life itself is hard or suffering because the gospel of Christ can bring persecution. But in the midst of that, because your faith is anchored in the goodness of who God is in Christ for you, you're able to rejoice. You can think of it this way, and this is something that Thomas Watson said, and I think it's very appropriate. The excessive sadness and contrition of the godly will make others afraid to come to Christ. As believers, we need to have a contrite and broken heart over our sin. But if we are people that are despondent and always depressed and always complaining and always bitter, then we're saying the gospel is not real. If we're complaining, then we're saying there is no good news. It's all a lie. But if we really, truly in our hearts believe that God became a man, lived Jesus Christ, God became a man, lived a 100% life conforming to the law of God, of God, died on a cross for sinners, rose again, ascended to heaven, and now even intercedes for those that will believe and trust in Him, and they get His 100% obedient life to God, and God declares them, you're right with me, and I give you all that I have. If we truly believe that, then we'll be, I'm not going to complain. Who am I to offer a complaint up to God? Rather, I will rejoice and be glad, and by God's grace, gush with gratitude to our Lord. Do your friends, do your neighbors, your spouse, your children see the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus by how you speak and by how you act? Men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, I've been involved in missions now since 1989. And one thing I've learned, there is no special technique. I wish there was in order to try to get somebody to come to Jesus, there is no real special technique where it's presto facto, poof, that person is a believer. But we see here in this passage, 
that if you want to be used by God to impact the world, at least it starts with having a heart of gratitude. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have done so much for us. Lord, you are the bread of life. You are the Lamb of God. You are the Lion of God. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, we do kiss the Son because you are our sweet Savior and our sweet Redeemer. Lord, may we be filled with your Spirit. May we be just so thrilled that you are for us and that you would love us and give us all that you have. Give us eyes to see and a heart to believe that our hearts, Lord, even in the most difficult of circumstances, that we'd be able to say, thank you, Jesus, for your love. Lord, we praise you. I pray you would bless these people in this church and do way beyond they could ever ask, think, or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.